Economist. In London, this is The Economist. I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor, and you're listening to The Economist Asks. In this show, we'll be asking how lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender rights, that's LGBT, have brought changes and challenges to the workplace. The Economist is holding a conference entitled Pride and Prejudice on March the 3rd, and it'll be exploring how businesses can gain competitive advantage and a reputation for being more inclusive, but we'll also be looking at what might be holding companies back. Joining me to discuss these topics are two corporate leaders who've both made LGBT rights central to their workplaces. Former Chief Executive of British Petroleum, Lord Brown, who now sits on a number of corporate boards. And later on, we'll be hearing from Claudia Brindwoody, Managing Director for IBM Global Intellectual Property Licensing. Now, John, you've dealt with this topic both personally as the author of The Glass Closet that discussed your experience as a gay man in business, but also thinking about what to do at a corporate level more generally. So what's changed in your lifetime? Quite a lot's changed in that people are aware that uh, they need to do things to get people to be included in corporate life. And that is uh, an important change. I think when I joined business, and actually even when I left business, people really didn't care that much. You know, They would do things like, say, let's all go and play golf uh, for a corporate outing without actually finding out whether everybody liked golf. And by definition, that is exclusionary. And it makes people feel inferior and not members of the team. And what you've got to do is do everything to make people feel members of the team. People are now a bit more aware of that. Let's unpack your own experience because you are someone who had a highly successful career and peaking really and being chief executive at BP and found yourself unwillingly outed. And yet you seem to grasp that as an opportunity. What did you learn from that? Well, certainly I I realised the only thing to do with it is to make it an opportunity. Uh, not to look backwards and make it uh, a negative, because that's exactly what I felt while I was in the closet. I had to avoid every single situation where I would otherwise have been excluded and just ignore it. For instance? Well, uh, things like uh, bring your wife, and I would say, let me bring my mother instead, or or, let me come by myself. Uh, And I would find each and every case a tough case to handle. How did you then assess what you needed to do when you started thinking about how you could take your own experience and make something useful as well as virtuous out of it in terms of the business? So what is really important is this is not, this cannot be done by having a set of boxes you check and it cannot be done by saying, let's go for diversity because diversity is, follows inclusion. So you have to go to work on people asking them to think how other people would feel if they were put in the position they're about to put those people in. So, you know, let's go out with our wives. Wrong statement. Let's go out with our partners. Yes. You have to put yourself into, into a different position. I remember when I wrote The Glass Closet, there was one graphic moment where we were talking to a woman who came out as a lesbian. She was an engineer in a tough male environment. And when she came out, she said to her colleagues, all male, 
here's how it feels. You go back to your office, take off your wedding ring, put down all the photographs of your family, change the she to he every time you went out with someone, and if your partner was sick, you can't visit them in the hospital. That's what it feels like when you're being excluded. Being included means people understand that and do something. And that takes time. It takes big signals from the chief executive, big, big signals. It takes a time allocation. Managers cannot be expected to do something about this simply by filling in a form. They have to allocate time on their agenda. We had a Schumpeter column entitled Diversity Fatigue recently, which argued that though diversity uh, may well be the right goal for companies, a lot of people find it something of a pain or a bit of a, a threat. It's something put out by the Human Resources Department that they're supposed to feel the right way about and they feel worried about asking questions or even being critical of a diversity strategy. How do you then build that into the world that you're talking about, where you seem to sort of make a big assumption that this is a great thing and it should be driven from the top down in the company? Well, first of all, I do think it's a great thing. Not only it's the right thing, but also it's the profitable thing. In order to engage staff, engage a team to a purpose of a company, I don't care how big it is, the small or the big, in order to engage teams, you have to include the people in the team. Inclusion is very important. And engage teams, engage companies time and again have proved to make more money, more relative money than those who are not so engaged. In fact, between the highly engaged and the not engaged, there's a 2% per annum improvement in profitability. Engaged That's in huge. What? Purpose. Purpose of the company, the business at hand. But to be engaged in the business at hand, you have to be a member of the team, which means you can't be excluded. You can't go away, you know, for a weekend, you know, doing parasailing when you don't want to do parasailing. You know, you shouldn't be excluded. You know, that person is too difficult to deal with. Let's leave them out of the room. Let's have a secret meeting. All of this is the same as saying to people, I find it very difficult to deal with that person because they're transgender or maybe I, I really don't know how to use the word gay. These things need time, practice and consideration. You're listening to The Economist Asks and we're looking at the challenges and changes as companies recognise and adapt to LGBT employees. Joining me in the studio is IBM's Claudia Brindwoody. Claudia, you've been active on this for many years. What's changed in the time you've been campaigning and indeed doing something about it? Well, I think the whole marriage wave has really opened up the dialogue, the debate, and the notion of human rights uh, associated with the LGBT space uh, in terms of basic human rights. And that's Primarily a statement of Western culture, although we are seeing it happen in Asia and and other places. But I think that the whole marriage debate has opened up a lot of dialogue. And is this something that comes from your own personal experience as you've been in the business world? I mean, tell me your story on this. Well, actually, I'm here in England because of the marriage debate as it were, the Defense of Marriage Act in the United States was in force when I married my British partner. And she could not immigrate to the U.S. But as a married couple, I could immigrate here to the U.K. So IBM, as an enlightened company, said, fine, you run a global team, you can work from anywhere. So that enabled me to immigrate to the U.K. and and live with my spouse. 
And there's an example of the law interfering with personal circumstances. And you talk about your companies being enlightened, but in a sense, what has happened differently in companies other than riding on the back of marriage laws changing in some parts of the US and and Britain and other countries? I would suggest to you that the companies are the ones who are leading. IBM has a very long history of civil rights. Our non-discrimination policy for sexual orientation was in 1984. We have a global policy that we've enforced all over the world, even in places like the Middle East where it's hard, where if you're an IBMer within an IBM environment, you are allowed to be who you are. And so we really do take a leadership role as corporations in the world outside of just sort of that Western, European, U.S. environment. You see, that sounds to me a bit like wishful thinking. Once you step outside the environment of a company based in a a country which doesn't have the same views of tolerance towards gay people, you're you're already kind of living in, in two worlds. So how does the corporate realm respond to that? Well, interestingly enough, there was just a, a study published as part of the Davos Economic Forum called Out in the World, Securing LGBT Rights in the Global Marketplace. And one of the things they observed were companies had sort of three environments where they chose. The, the first they called win in Rome, where companies didn't have courage and and they just sort of did whatever the local culture was. The second was what they called the embassy model, where within the walls of that corporation, they had all the rights and protections of that corporate non-discrimination. And the third was the advocate model, where corporations were going beyond that to try to help change the cultural thoughts and attitudes outside the workplace. So IBM and others are, are actually at least doing the embassy model, because it's really important, first of all, for our employees to be safe in, in places in the world where they can still be put to death or put in prison for being LGBT. But secondly, we are partnering with other corporations to have a dialogue. We just sponsored a session in India this month in Bangalore with 30 other corporations to talk about the Indian workplace climate. And the laws in India are still where LGBT people can be prosecuted. If I went back to basics with you, what was your own experience then as a gay woman in the corporate environment in the years before there were large conferences and a lot of head nodding about this topic? Well, fortunately, in the corporate world, I've always been out. I had the privilege of coming from a family that was very accepting. And so I was able to embrace my own authenticity early on. The only time I've really not been out in my career was when I was first in sport, because sport at university, and then I worked in sport for a while after the university before the corporate world, we were worried that women would not get the opportunities in sport because the pejoratives were always, oh, that lesbian or oh, that dyke, Uh, you know, so we were hidden. Uh, in sport. And sport is still a pretty homophobic place in general, both for men and women. But since then, in the corporate world, it's been about being myself and, and being authentic and being 
able to choose places to work that are inclusive and, and that do value me for my day job, which is, you know, what I do professionally. Companies often see diversity as something they, they have to do internally to do the right thing or because they feel it's required of them. But what about their external facing profile? What about what their customers think? That's a very important question. Because if we assume our clients and our customers are straight, we're going to be wrong 5 to 10% of the time. And doing business and having customer loyalty and creating the trust between your salespeople and their clients happens because we reflect the populations we serve. Claudia Brindwoody, thank you very much. And you can follow our Pride and Prejudice conference on March the 3rd on social media. You've been listening to The Economist Asks with me, Anne McElvoy. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.